Father, we do look to you and know in your sovereign hand that you care for us and that you, in fact, orchestrate events, even those that seem bad in our circumstance, that you use them for good, and we trust that you do that all the time. And as we look at this passage, it gives us insight into that whole concept that we might not only see things from your perspective all the time, but would be able to apply them and to focus on the things we need to when we do encounter difficulty and trials. So we just commit our time this morning, and if there be anything that would distract us or hinder us from not only understanding but applying your word, that you would bring that to mind. May we confess it now and be in full fellowship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. This morning in the book of Romans, we will look at a very important passage. In fact, it's a passage that helps us to understand how God works circumstances for our growth. And in this case, in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, our growth is stimulated by hardship, difficulty, Paul uses the word tribulation here, which is broad. We'll look at it and see that it can include lots of things. Even I found a passage that even deals with emotional stress. So we'll take a look at what that is all about. So we'll talk a little bit about hardship, affliction, tribulation. And we can use an analogy. In fact, I've mentioned several times I learned every biblical principle from sports, athletics, beginning at somewhat of a young age. And there are many things that you can learn from that, obviously. And one of the things that you learn is endurance. And you learn and strength and development and teamwork and all kinds of interaction uh, principles. And I remember when we would we'd wait all summer. This is before football was a year-round sport, (laughs) and we'd wait for all summer, at least I did anyway, anticipating and waiting for football season to start, and even though you knew those first two weeks were probably the hardest two weeks of your life, because you did two-a-days, this is when football was really football rather than, I don't know what it is today, taking a knee, the national anthem, whatever, but anyway, those were difficult times you Worked out, it was the hottest time of the season, and you had two workouts, so you did a morning thing and you did an afternoon thing in the heat. Now, even though I was at 7,000 foot elevation, it still seemed hot to me. But you wait the whole time for that, not for the two weeks, because you know that's going to be almost hellish, but because you know that that is going to prepare you for the season that comes ahead. And the harder that that time is, the better prepared you are to face whatever situation you find in a game. And that's the design, and that's the intention, and that's the purpose. So we can see that kind of from the physical realm, and it transfers very easily into the spiritual realm. When God brings affliction and hardship, it's designed, it has a purpose, and the passage we're going to look at tells us what that is. And many believers in the first century had to live out that principle all the way to death. Mm -hmm. And many of them died on that very 
place, the Colosseum, in the first century. Now, this is after Paul. Paul had already been martyred when they built that, but it's still first century, and there was a lot of persecution in the first century. Excuse me? Yes. I don't really see what that's a picture of. That's the Colosseum. That's, well, what is? At the bottom would be a floor, like horse. Hmm? It'd be like this, except extended throughout. Underneath were dungeons. The seating on the, the, the back. Okay. You haven't been to a Lobo game, so you can't make out what that is. There's no floor there. Well, because it's 2,000 years old. That's what I mean. There. Oh, that's good. I kind of see now. You kind of see now. Those are the dungeons. Yeah, this floor would have extended throughout the whole thing. We talk about the uh, various reasons why we suffer. They're not always for what we have in Romans chapter 5. Exactly. So we'll continue in our look at God's provision of righteousness. And that provision Paul describes as justification. We receive God's righteousness by being justified. Two aspects, forgiveness of sins and the declaring of righteousness. And that's the bulk of the book. We've looked at condemnation and justification. We're still in that portion. Provision of justification, 3, 21 through 26. The priority of justification, 3, 27 through 31. We looked at the pattern, the Old Testament pattern, chapter 4. And now we're looking at the profit gained from justification. And part of that portion deals specifically with benefits. And in fact, we will see tribulation is listed as a benefit. In fact, that's how he begins verse 3. So we'll take a look at that. And we saw the present benefits of justification. That's verses 1 and 2. And in that we saw at the very beginning, beginning in verse 1, therefore having been justified. So he's continuing the discussion from chapters 3 and 4. In other words, you could even say, since you have now been justified, now this is the condition or this is the situation. It's kind of a rough paraphrase. So having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a present condition or situation. Before, we were at enmity, all the way back going to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. War, conflict between mankind and God because we are not in the right position. But we have been justified, now we have peace with God. And not only that, it's through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the means, and through whom... Also, we have obtained our, New American Standard translates it, introduction by faith. The word has access or means the idea of access, but we are introduced to the whole spectrum of grace. Another benefit, second benefit we looked at last time. That whole area of grace includes Everything else, everything else is by grace, including ministry itself, spiritual gifts. We talked about that. The enablement to live. We're introduced to that as a result of justification. We have that. And then it looks at the kind of long range goal here. 
And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. We, even though we're living in the present, we have a present hope that looks to the very end. And it's glorious. And I think what's at least hinted at here is that once you are justified, then you can be assured, and that's the idea of hope. Hope is assurance of what God has promised. In fact, you might even... uh, Translate it that way, or uh, a sure expectation because God has promised it. And what that is, is glorification. And we'll come back to that in chapter 8. So those are present benefits. And 3 through 5, using my kind of time element here, we have present benefits, but we also have ongoing tribulation. We can expect this throughout the Christian life. So... Those that are justified are not immune from suffering. Not everything's going to be easy, but it does have a design. So we can exalt in it. In fact, uh, we'll look at that word again. Paul has used it several times already. So three through five is ongoing exaltation. And as we usually do, I try to give you the entire sentence so we get the context And we see how Paul develops the thought. And those of you that are very good at making observations of grammar, what is the independent clause? Okay, the clause, yeah, the independent clause includes, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Very good. So the subject, we... Now, did you notice something different? I don't know if I call attention. Uh, He uses we in in verse 1 as well. There's a shift from chapter 5 from everything that he was talking about before in terms of the doctrinal portion. Condemnation. He's using more the third person, describing those that fit that description. In other words, those that are unrighteous have present wrath, are under the wrath of God. It's revealed from heaven, that beginning of verse 18. And throughout most of it, now he uses a second person in a couple of places, almost directly speaking to particularly a Jewish audience. But in general, he's describing those that are not in the category that we would classify as justified. And here, not only this, but we, which is the subject of the sentence, also exalt. So Paul, I think, includes himself, he's justified, and he's including his audience, which is a believing audience, and in this case it'd be the Roman audience, and by way of extension through inspiration, it would include anyone that is justified by faith. So we also exalt. Now, I'll come back to that word, but Everything else in the sentence is just telling us something about this exaltation that he's already been talking about. And it just gives the specifics. We exalt in tribulations. Now that's almost the antithesis of the peace that he talked about in verse 1. But when we're talking about peace there, that peace with God makes available a peace of God or a peace from God that we can have in whatever circumstance we find ourselves and we can find that peace even in the midst of tribulation. In fact, that is 
one of the main areas that we can sense it and feel it is when everything else is flying apart around us, we can have God's peace because of certain things, because we have a hope, and we'll see that as we get through the passage. So we also exult in our tribulations. Why can we do that? Because we know certain things. Participial phrase, knowing that, the object of that participial idea there, we have a subordinate clause, that tribulation brings about perseverance. And then it keeps going. We have kind of a string of things that tribulation produces. Knowing these things, in other words, knowing that when suffering comes, that is not as a result of our own sin. I'm going to kind of specify what suffering is in view here. We know that that suffering, that tribulation, produces certain things, perseverance, and perseverance produces proven character. We'll talk about that little phrase, and proven character, hope. We started with hope at the very beginning, and hope is the subject of chapter 4 as well. Abraham hoped against hope. Remember that? He was our example. And then, and verse 5, and hope does not disappoint. In other words, it's not a wish. It's not just something we desire, but it's based on what God has said. Therefore, it is assurance and we can expect it. That's why it doesn't disappoint. Now we have uh, another subordinate clause. He's going to give the reason why hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Another subordinate clause at the end, kind of expanding the Holy Spirit. See how it all flows together? So it all is kind of focused on the subject, we, And the action, because of all these things that he develops in the verse, we can exalt. All right? So let's start off at the beginning. And not only this. What has he been talking about in 1 and 2? The benefits of justification. The peace, the introduction or the access to grace. Thirdly, that hope that we have that extends beyond this lifetime into the future when we will be rid of these sinful bodies and will be given a or that freedom from them and only the new nature and it'll be a purified glorified new nature not only that in other words not only those benefits but there's another one here's another benefit that you can add to the list And this one is more ongoing, that's why I separated it out, and because it starts a new sentence. And not only this, verses 1 and 2, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Now, there are several terms in here that we'll have to kind of specify and look at, and we'll look at them not so much in depth, but enough to understand them. Uh, What's the first one that we want to look at? Exalt. Exalt. And the second one will be tribulation, the more obvious one. Okay? So let's take a look at the idea of exalt. And I'll give you the Greek word there, for those of you that study a little bit of Greek there. Kaukaumai. And if you look it up, you're going to find out that in most of the context, it has the idea of boasting. And there's some in terms of boasting in what man can do. In fact, you could even say it's just 
kind of normal, everyday bragging. In other words, this is what I've accomplished. Bragging in men. And an example of that, we won't look that one up. I've got a lot of scriptures here, but I'll let you look that one up. But in James 4.16, the word is used, and it's used in a negative context, just basically bragging concerning circumstance or things that man can produce. Now, it's also used commonly, in fact, we've already seen it several times already in chapter 4 and here again in chapter 5, boasting in spiritual things. That's encouraged. The bragging from a human perspective in terms of man accomplishing things is a negative, and it's always in a negative light in the scriptures, and not commended and not encouraged, but it's also used in a good sense And there are several passages that speak of us boasting in God. Or we can even, you know, boast. And it has this idea of exalting as well, or rejoicing. So you might combine the ideas of the joy and the rejoicing that we have, and also the idea of this, we can brag, you might say, or boast in that. That's the same word. And that's what we have here. So when it's translated exalt, it tries to capture both those ideas of boasting in a good sense. In other words, legitimate and good reason. We have good reason to boast in God because God is the originator of all good things. It's also in the book of James. And because we have received this benefit, uh, we can rejoice in it as well. So that's the idea of exaltation. So we saw it in verse 2 already, exalting in what in verse 2? What does verse 2 tell us? 5-2. The last part of verse 2, we exalt in hope, the American standard. Okay? In other words, we rejoice because our future is secure. Our future is settled. It's a hope. We are assured of it because God has promised it. And then it occurs again in verse 11 of the same broader context. I have that. But you we got also it. rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we all receive grace. Okay. We can exalt in God. We can boast in God in a positive, good sense. And there's lots of passages that have God as the object of the exaltation. So we could call it exuberant boasting. Now you say, well, I don't look forward to and I don't find it very pleasant when I encounter tribulation. But from a biblical perspective, we can, and we can when we focus in the right perspective. In other words, in the midst of suffering, usually our only thought is, how do I get out of this? In other words, how long is this going to last? This is painful. I don't like this. I want to change my circumstance. But if we just stop for a moment and reflect what is going on here, and that's why it says knowing certain things, we'll get into that in a moment, with the right perspective, a biblical view of tribulation can make all of the difference in the world. And we'll we'll experience this over and over and over, and perhaps after this, maybe this week, you will experience exactly what we're talking about. So what about the word tribulation? Let's go into a little bit more on this because that's kind of at the focus of everything in this passage. The term is slipsis, Greek word. It has the idea of something pressing, 
pressure, you might even say, and in a, a very literal way, something that boxes you in, and eventually speaking in terms of affliction. And what we mean by that is sometimes health issues are pressing in you because you can't leave a bed. You're in a hospital. You're kind of boxed in. You're you're under that pressure. You're not free. And it can include a lot of other things as well. Affliction. Something external that is afflicting you. That's the idea there. Now, it's a general term for many kinds of affliction, many kinds of pressure. And as I did a word study and looked them up, we won't look all these up, but I'll give you time to write them down. But here are some of the categories of areas that are possible where the word occurs. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen refers to Joseph in prison, and it uses the word flipsis. In other words, Joseph was afflicted. So if you can imagine a prison, he's confined for one. Secondly, he is not, he doesn't have cable TV. He doesn't have an exercise room. Joseph in Egypt was afflicted. And prisons were a very depressing and very oppressive place to be in. That's Acts 7.10. Paul also in prison is also afflicted. I think the American Standard translates it, flips us in that way. Philippians 1.17 Israel in famine, that's back to uh, Stephen. He's reviewing the history of Israel there, showing that they're stiff-necked people and they are going to do to him exactly what they did to the prophets. So Israel in famine is the example in Acts chapter 7, verse 11. Now that refers back to Genesis and Jacob and the family. They were obviously without food. That's an affliction. That's painful. Hunger. So it can include hunger. Just worldly hardships. Paul refers to the many things in 2 Corinthians and specifically in 6 4, 2 Corinthians 6 4, which included in his lists. Later on, he includes a whole list that included nights without sleep, other shipwreck, external things that came upon him, many things that uh, caused him pain. Even childbirth. Jesus used the illustration in John 16, 21. And you women can identify with that. That's tribulation. That's slipsis. Marriage itself. Now, none of you can identify with that, right? 1 Corinthians 7, 28. Now, that's not perhaps the heavy. It has all many degrees, perhaps. But the word slipsis is used of marriage itself. It can be emotional. I think Paul is referring to an emotional stress or pressure, 2 Corinthians 2, 4. So it can range, it, it, it can include the whole spectrum, whole range of possibilities here. And then several times it is used of persecution itself. In other words, external suffering as a result of believers under the pressure of unbelievers can be confining, it can be painful as well. And I just give you one passage, but there's several others that uh, you could look at as well. Second Thessalonians <laughs> 1, 4. It's also used in Matthew chapter 24. This is the word that refers to that seven-year period that we call tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. 
So these are kind of the categories of the kinds of suffering that phlepsis includes. So it's a general term, many included. Now, I would put the Romans passage with the persecution or the external pressure, but it can be broader as well. It could include things that just occur, uh, not as a result of only persecution, but that would certainly be in the context of Romans chapter 5. So what is the purpose of suffering? Let's take a look at that, because we're assured here this is part of justification by faith. We should expect it, we should anticipate it, and the church was encouraged to even anticipate even persecution. And there's a passage that tells us that all of us that are godly can expect it. In other words, not be surprised with it. Well, I've got a list of five reasons why we might suffer. They're not all the same. And they're not all contained in uh, Romans chapter 5, particularly the first one. Sometimes we suffer because of consequences of sin. In other words, we bring it on ourselves. Bad decisions, for example. Evil directions that we take. And let's look these one, these up. 1 Peter 4.16, and somebody got Galatians, a couple people here. Got that one, uh, Karen. Once you get to Galatians one, Connie, somebody look up the Hebrews twelve one. First one, First Peter four. Connie's got Galatians six, and looking for somebody to twitch. Oh, there he goes. Dwayne's got Hebrews twelve. First Peter. We'll let you do that one as well, Karen, since you'll be in that passage. Okay. All right. All right. You got four sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his... Uh, is that the right one? What's 15? Yeah, first Peter. Okay. It has to do with suffering? Yeah, but uh, suffering as a result of consequences. What does Galatians 6, 7 say? Not to deceive, God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, that he will be, for that consequences of sin. So right. In other words, don't suffer as a result of your own sin or your own consequences. Okay, I'll have to look that up again. But there's others. Well, 15 says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, yeah. or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome. Okay, man. that's that's it. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, man, Linda wants that's me one to of my list. a troublesome Ah. <laughs> well, that's what it says. It's a busybody. Yeah. All right. Murderer. Yeah, it's 415, right? Is that yeah, the right one? Okay, 415. Sorry about that. <laughs> Missed it by one digit. So don't suffer as a meddler, Linda. <laughs> troublesome meddler. Oh, troublesome meddler. <laughs> so it includes consequences as a result of our own doing. That has no merit. In fact, the First Peter passage includes that. That's just, I mean, you take it on yourself. You're to blame, no complaining. But there is some suffering that comes in the form of discipline. In other words, we are heading in a wrong direction, and God is redirecting us. In fact, the word discipline there is sometimes used of child training or the idea of God training us so he can use a 
affliction, hardship, just to redirect or sometimes to train us. This is a familiar passage. We don't need to read the whole thing, but let's start it off. Hebrews, start in verse 3, and I'll probably stop you. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striking against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the you do not despise sons, in other words, part of the family. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Keep reading. Or be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? Now he goes into an illustration of a normal family. He's speaking of the spiritual family of God. God loves us. God chastens us for our good. Just as a parent chastens a child in order to develop them and to deter them from evil, so also God does the same. So some is discipline, kind of a step beyond the consequences that is just because of stupid decisions. Now, they can overlap, I would think, but in terms of a believer, now the consequences also could include the unbeliever, but the discipline is those that are within the family of God. And I think what we have in Romans is what we also have for the purpose of righteousness. That's the First Peter 4, 12 through 14. Read that one. Okay. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Okay, it's not strange. It's not unusual. It's not out of the ordinary. Go ahead. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. Okay. Did Christ suffer as a result of consequences of sin? No. Not his sin. Yeah. Did Christ suffer because God was disciplining him? No. No. He was suffering for righteousness sake in order to bear the penalty of sin. When we suffer, we should not be (coughs) surprised by it. We are sharing in the same suffering that Christ shared. Now, the assumption there is because we have not done anything wrong, and it's as a result of external, perhaps, persecution or external situations that bring us into suffering for righteousness' sake. And in fact, that phrase is used in a few contexts that deal with that kind of suffering. I think the Romans passage includes this, and possibly more as well. So, suffering for righteousness' sake, and there's some other passages I wanted to look at. Second Timothy, this is the one I was alluding to, 3.12. Indeed, all, and I think in the context, all believers, anyone excluded here? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, fill in the blank, 
will suffer persecution. Will be persecuted or will suffer persecution. What, what is that? that is Second Timothy three twelve. So we should expect it. You're just going along, just being your own self, not doing anything, and you say, Oh, you know, praise the Lord. I you know, I can praise him for whatever and somebody says, You are a believer. Okay? You can expect it. Now, historically, our country has been relatively free of persecution for most of its history. The United States has been an exception. Almost every other country in almost every other age, including today, you become a believer and you are the object of persecution. And this passage says this is the norm. This is what you should expect. This is what is natural for those that identify with Jesus Christ. So that's for righteousness sake. And there's other passages as well. You could look at First uh, Peter 2, 11 and 12 if you want another passage. Also 19 through 25. The whole book of Peter is writing to people that are persecuted, believers. No, 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 verses 19, 2, 19 through 25. In chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, there's another category, and I think Romans primarily is focused in this category. Or it can include for righteousness' sake, but it also has the purpose of refining us. It may not necessarily be discipline. It may not be that God is redirecting. He is simply developing us like an athlete goes through pain. No pain, no gain. An athlete goes through pain to prepare for the battle of competition. All right? So there's the whole refining. So I'll give you lots of passages there. Go all the way to the Old Testament. And let's read Deuteronomy 8. Who wants to do that one? Jeremy twitched. Connie's going to do Hebrews 5. Who wants to do James? Oops, you touched your watch there. You got James. Give that or make your husband do it. Second Corinthians, who wants to do that one? Okay, Karen. Jeremy, you got Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 8, 2. 8, 2 through 6. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart. Testing you, in other words, they're in the wilderness. Now, part of it is because of consequences, but he is also developing that second generation. Yes. To be able to conquer the land. Keep reading. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining, disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. You see, a combination of discipline, the the whole wilderness experience, but it was also preparatory and refining. So you have a combination of those two in the Deuteronomy passage, where he's preparing that second generation for the conquest of the land. Hebrews 5, 8. 
Who's it referring to there? Jesus. Even Jesus experienced development, you might say, in his humanity only, because Jesus is God as well, and as God, he's immutable, and as immutable, God does not learn or God does not develop, but yet in his humanity, Hebrews 8 tells us Jesus experienced suffering and he grew. Imagine that. You experience everything we experience. Interesting passage, right? In fact, almost contradictory in terms of the total nature of God. So you need to view it from his humanity, not from his deity. James. James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is a parallel passage to the one uh, that we're looking at in Romans 5. Keep reading. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Keep reading. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay. Same idea, in fact, very parallel. In fact, some of the same words are in James as we find in Paul. So James is talking about the same growth process that tribulation or hardship produces. And the more you experience, the more refined, you might say, you will become. Second Corinthians 1, we won't read that whole passage, but let's start in verse 3. This is part of the reason, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, part of the reason we go through certain things. God is developing us, preparing us for ministry to others that are going to go through the same thing. <laughs> Who's got that one? Karen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. That would be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are. Okay, we experience hardship. God comforts us, and now we can comfort others. Read one more verse. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Okay, the sufferings of Christ. In other words, we're experiencing, and it can be as a result of external persecution as well. Or it can be just as a result of the normal things we experience in a lost, fallen world. God uses it. And you could include the Romans 8.28 passage, He works all things for good for those that are called according to His purpose. And what's the other phrase? To love God and are called according to His purpose. There you go. So God may be preparing us for future ministry, or he may just simply be refining us. And by the way, this idea of slipsis is used also outside of the Bible in a context of refining like gold. And what do you do with gold to refine it? You put it in the fire at a very high temperature until it melts. And what happens? All the impurities rise to the surface because gold is one of the heaviest elements. So everything else comes to the surface. You can skim off that non-gold or whatever impurity, and you end up with pure gold. 
That's the process that God is using in terms of suffering in the believer. And there's other passages we could talk about. And there's one more. Anyone have an idea of what that one more is? One more reason or purpose for suffering. Think of somebody in the Old Testament that suffered to the extreme. To show his Well, sometimes I think God puts people on display to show other people. That's right. But sometimes we don't know. And I think Job did not have the benefit of chapters 1 and 2. So he didn't know that there's an angelic conflict that exists as well that goes on. And Job was not given the benefit of knowing what was happening in his suffering. Now, he may have been given that revelation towards the end, but at least at the beginning, this is why we have the three friends that are counseling him. They don't have the benefit either. They don't know what God is doing in the life of Job. Some of our suffering, we may not have an answer to it, but we can be assured that God will be using it to refine us at least. We may not have the specific reason why God is dealing with us at that moment. Connie? Oh, yeah, I can get that. And prayed, it took two weeks, because there was an angelic conflict. Mm-hmm. And the moment he prayed, Daniel, the moment he prayed, the messenger was dispatched to take care of the situation. It was that conflict. Right. Yeah, another angelic conflict. So there's a lot of things that God is doing that we don't know. In fact, in the New Testament, it speaks of doing things because of the angels. In other words, they're observing what's going on. We may not have full insight, and that includes the whole area of suffering. So at least five categories. There may be more and maybe variations of these and combinations of these. But we don't want to suffer because of bad decisions and because of our own sinfulness or our own waywardness or our own lack of walking with God, but that is a cause, and there's other verses as well. Sometimes God will discipline us if we are heading in that direction or not walking in the way that he desires. He may bring hardship to correct, and He we may suffer just because we are believers, for righteousness' sake, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And most of the time, since we are believers, God can use all of the above to refine us and to make us pure gold so that as we develop in this life, I believe God is preparing us to function in the millennial kingdom. And I think characteristics we develop now will be evident in that time. And some of that suffering, we may not have total insight on, or we may have no insight on. Linda? I think consequences, that's like, um, it lets you know. It could be the Holy Spirit letting you know, because you don't even know you're... The believer? Yeah, but like in Timothy, what is that? All scripture is breathed out for God. God breathes. This is all of... Teaching, correction, correction like, review. Uh, calling, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It speaks to you, the scripture. And we're going to see what that refining process is all about as we progress through this chain of things that tribulation brings. Tribulation brings about, first of all, perseverance. And we'll take a look at that next time. So we've looked at exaltation. We can exalt in the tribulation. 
because we know that God is going to use it for our benefit and perhaps the benefit of others. So it's a boasting that includes rejoicing. The tribulation is a variety of forms of affliction, including persecution. In fact, it's used most often, but it can include even emotional things. I found at least one passage. And perseverance, we'll take a look at that next week, but just to give you a hint, it is constance. Tribulation produces constance, Connie. (laughs) Or endurance, perseverance, and we need that in living out the Christian life. So let's stop there, and we'll pick up next week. So tribulation produces spiritual strength. I want to see all of you doing the spiritual iron cross. <laughs> Who wants to close for us? You know one? Jeremy. Lord, we just praise you. You are so amazing. Lord. We thank you for your word. We just thank you. We want a relationship with this Lord. And we just thank you for uh, revealing how your brain works. So that we grow and just what these, uh, what suffering can do in our lives. Lord, we glory. I just pray you be with each one of us this week that we would grow in this Lord, that we would see you working in our lives, Lord, and that we would come upon the, these testings and these, these sufferings, Lord, knowing that you are in control of all things, Lord, and knowing that you can use that for our good, Lord. So we just praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.